Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandments without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only Sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. To Him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated. So the Apostle Paul, in the sixth chapter of of his letter to to Pastor Timothy, uh, gives exhortations to Timothy about what to oppose and what to promote. He he was to put off and he was to put on. Last time we looked at verse 11, Timothy was exhorted by Paul to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. And so we pick up from there. And the Apostle Paul tells Timothy to fight the good fight, to fight the good fight of faith. The verb here for fight is agonizomai, which is is used of the kind of fight that athletes engage in. It's to contend for a prize, right? It it is not to fight as an expression of rage or in order to take vengeance into one's own hands, but it's an exhortation for Timothy to, to contend to struggle, to, to push on toward a prize. And Timothy and all Christians are to be contenders in the contest, right? the good contest. We're, we're to be um, battlers in a good battle. We're to struggle in a good and profitable struggle. Those are ways of saying what he says here. And the Apostle Paul uses this phrase, fight the good fight, He uses it three times in his two letters to Timothy. So this is a theme, you would say, in in these letters to Timothy. At the very beginning of the letter, remember the apostle um, Paul tells Timothy, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. In this instance, like in chapter 6, faith is connected with this good fight. So in both situations, he mentions faith along with the good fight. Here in the first chapter, it seems that the fight Timothy is to, the fight is simply to maintain faith. And maintain a good conscience. Um, Those who reject faith, those who reject a good conscience, will end without faith and without a good conscience. Um, Ultimately suffering shipwreck 
um, utter destruction of their faith. Now, that's a good fight um, that we should all be engaged in to keep the faith and to um, pursue a good conscience. Uh, We come up against some temptation. We come up against some desire or some difficulty, and and we have a crisis at that point. We're at a crossroads when we come up to that temptation. Do we approach such difficulties with faith or without faith? Do we trust that... Do we trust God or do we turn um, to self in order to fight those battles? Now, isn't that the good fight of faith when we turn toward God in the midst of those things? That is the good fight of faith. So we run up against unbelief. Some of you run up against unbelief. Perhaps you did in your college classes or do now. You run up against unbelief in your extended families, or you run up against unbelief in your church. Um, do we then stop, or do we do we stop engaging, or do we then engage in the good fight of faith? That's that's the decision we have to make when we we encounter those those uh, temptations, when we encounter unbelief. Do we profess? For instance, Christ in the public square. Or do we profess Christ in the, in the classroom? Do we profess Christ in our families, in our churches? Or do we just turn tail and run? Not being willing to fight the good fight of faith. Not, we, we'd rather have rest and peace and comfort and ease rather than fight the good fight. The other place the Apostle Paul speaks of the good fight is near the end of his second letter to Timothy. This time, Paul speaks of his own fight and also of the prize that um, will be given to those um, who enter and win the contest. He writes, this is 2 Timothy 4, 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who love his appearing. So notice the past tense. Paul has fought the good fight. He has finished the course. He has kept the faith. There's that connection to the ongoing exercise of faith. He has kept the faith. He has fought the good fight. Now think for a moment how the Apostle Paul has fought the good fight. How can he say this now? What what has he done? Well, he stood in the Areopagus and denounced the philosopher's ignorance. And he preached Christ. He, He stood before kings and governors and he preached Christ. He struggled with a thorn in the flesh and was not given relief by God even after praying. He suffered all kinds of physical difficulties, stoning, shipwreck, scorpion bite, um, whippings, and he continued to preach Christ. He was imprisoned, and he continued to preach Christ. He lived with the memory of having persecuted the church, and yet he continued to preach Christ. He was abandoned by friends, Demas, John Mark, and continued even still to preach Christ. The Apostle Paul is proof of both the presence of the fight and endurance through the whole fight of faith. The fact of the matter is that 
the fight, the battle, the contest came from God. All those things that Paul suffered came from God. He did not make a believer of Paul so that Paul could then go have a great meditative life, right? Withdrawn from all trouble. That is not what he did. He did not make a a believer of Paul to do that. He made a believer of Paul so that Paul could go to the front lines of a battle. And, And none of those circumstances, the loss of friends, the physical dangers, the imprisonments, the thorn in the flesh, the ridicule by the powerful, um, led him to stop fighting, to tuck and run, to denounce the faith. He continued on. Through all, he professed and preached Christ. But you better believe that it was a fight all along. It was a fight. It was not easy. It was not immediate. It took much work. That's how your faith is every day, is it not? It's a fight. It takes work. It takes um, concerted effort. But Paul stands as the example of a man who was put into the battle and was given persevering faith by God. Um, I often think of, of John Calvin's example in this regard. He thought soon after his conversion that God had made a believer of him so that he could um, write books so that he could live a scholar's life of ease and slow and steady um, meditation. Then God brought Calvin to Geneva um, through a circuitous route and used William Farrell to knock him off his scholarly horse. Um, Here's how Calvin describes this event in his preface to his commentary on the Psalms. William Farrell detained me at Geneva. Not so much by counsel and exhortation as by a dreadful imprecation, which I felt to be as if God had from heaven laid his mighty hand upon me to arrest me. And after learning that my heart was set upon devoting myself to private studies, for which I wished to keep myself free from other pursuits, and finding that he gained nothing by entreaties, he proceeded to utter an imprecation that God would curse my retirement and the tranquility of the studies which I sought if I should withdraw and refuse to give assistance when the necessity was so urgent. By this imprecation, I was so stricken with terror that I desisted from the journey which I had undertaken. He was headed to Strasbourg to to write his books. Pharrell essentially demanded that Calvin stay on in Geneva as a pastor and to hell with his scholarly softness. He, he was telling Calvin to fight the good fight of faith. He was telling Calvin that there was a battle raging right now and the church needs men who can preach Jesus Christ. And you must stay here and engage in the battle. Um, we need somebody who can engage an enemy and the rest is history. Calvin would suffer just like the Apostle Paul, sick most of his life, surrounded by enemies both within and without the church, mocked by most. They named their dogs after Calvin in Geneva, and yet he fought. But if he hadn't fought, what if he hadn't contended earnestly for the faith? We'd be worshiping idols right now. We would be worshiping idols makes me think of that wonderful um, Isaac Watts hymn we sing, Am I a Soldier of the Cross? 
Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb, and shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace to help me on to God? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil. I'll endure the pain supported by your word. Your saints in all this glorious war shall conquer though they die. They shall they see the triumph from afar by faith's discerning eye. When that illustrious day shall rise and all thine armies shine in robes of victory through the skies, the glory shall be thine. Those flowery beds of ease. I always think of that when I think of this phrase, fought the good fight. We'd rather have flowery beds of ease. We want the life of faith to be one of ease, don't we? We we think that the life of faith, actually, it's not that we just want it. We think that the life of faith is supposed to be a life of ease, don't we? We think that the life of faith should be awash with with both inner peace and freedom from outward difficulties. And yet, that was not the life of Pastor Timothy or the Apostle Paul or any other well-known Christian we have known of. And here's the kicker. It wasn't the life of Jesus Christ either. He was acquainted with grief. He died a shameful death. His life was a continuous battle. And he told us, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So why do we think that we are cursed by God when difficulties come? Why do we think that ease is what God aimed at when he told us to take up our cross? Probably for the same reason that Job's friends told him he was cursed by God and the proof of God's curse was his troubles. That's not right. Troubles come upon us because God gives us the opportunity then to fight the good fight of faith. The apostle understood this, which is, which is why they, you know, all the apostles understood this, which is why they rejoiced when they were considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. They rejoiced. Those who have ease, those who have ease forget God. Those who have ease forget God, just as Israel did in the promised land. Those who have ease become ignorant of the battle that's raging around them. And ironically, that, that is what leads to shipwreck of, of faith. Ease leads to shipwreck of faith, not battle. I remember a discussion I had with a few um, pastors at our presbytery, and they were lamenting that the children and young adults um, who grew up in the congregation were just not interested in the things of God. And I responded that I think we've mollycoddled our children. I think we've made, we've, ease has been their their, um, mode of operating, which has led them to think the Christian life is one of ease and passivity and and that is why they're falling away. Open, open our children's eyes to the good fight of faith. Open their eyes to the warfare they have to fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Open their eyes to the spirit within them that does the fighting. Open their eyes to the risen, conquering king they serve, and they will fight the good fight of faith. They, 
they are bored with Christianity because they've been fed a perversion of Christianity that it's all warm fuzzies and feelings about God and, and not rigor and fighting and risk and pain and victories that are always disguised as defeats and glorious warfare against all that God hates. That's what the Christian faith is. It's warfare against everything that God despises. Open their eyes to the reality of hell and its unending appetite and that they are God's warriors in this world, that they are God's church against which the gates of hell will not prevail. And perhaps they might be a little bit enthused, right? Engaged and not fall away from the faith. Calvin said, whoever wants God to approve of his service, he must dispose himself to battle, for we have an enemy that never gives up. Do you realize this? Children, do you realize this? You're engaged in a battle, a real battle, not an Xbox battle. This is a real battle for your own soul, for the souls of others, and for the name of Jesus Christ in this world to be praised. Faith cannot be without fighting. It is when we grow ignorant of the battle that our faith becomes nothing and our desires become perverted and our goals just become worldly goals when we forget about the fight of faith. And that makes me think of another hymn. This is a two-hymn sermon. It's crazy. It's almost poetic. Um, One that we should sing, but we don't. Who's on the Lord's side? And of course, that's the question that Moses asks when he is searching for a tribe that will slay those who sinned against God, right? That's the question that Moses asks. Who was on the Lord's side? And the Levites say, we are, and they bring their swords to the fight. Who is on the Lord's side? Who will serve the king? Who will be his helpers, others' lives to bring? Who will leave the world's side? Who will face the foe? Who is on the Lord's side? Who for him will go? By thy call of mercy, by thy grace divine, we are on the Lord's side, Savior, we are thine. Not for weight of glory, nor for crown and palm, enter we the army, raise the warrior psalm. But for love that claimeth lives for whom he died, he whom Jesus saveth marches on his side. By thy love constraining, by thy grace divine, we are on the Lord's side, Savior, we are thine. Jesus, thou hast bought us. Not with gold or gem, but with thine own lifeblood for thy diadem. With thy blessing filling each who comes to thee, thou hast made us willing, thou hast made us free. By thy grand redemption, by thy grace divine, we are on the Lord's side, Savior, we are thine. Fierce may be the conflict, strong may be the foe, but the king's own army none can overthrow. Round is standard ranging, victory is secure, for his truth unchanging makes the triumph sure. Joyfully enlisting by thy grace divine, we are on the Lord's side. Savior, we are thine. Calvin on this statement, fight the good fight, says we must be good soldiers or else we cannot be good believers. He then goes through a list of things that tempt us, the things of the world, feelings, passions, etc. He then says, how then is it possible for us to stand fast in the faith unless we mightily resist and strive stoutly against all our nature? And therefore we must meet, we meet with these temptations 
and are stirred up to fight, let us make this doctrine of St. Paul our buckler, namely that faith is never without fight, that we can never serve God without being soldiers. And why so? For we have enemies before us. We are encompassed about on every side, and therefore it is requisite for us to be used to fighting, or else we must be fain to yield. We have to be used to fighting. Fighting has to be our constant in every, every moment. And I mean, that's it. We have to fight, and God has given us the tools to be able to fight well, right? He's put his spirit within us. That's a good tool to fight with, right? The flesh at times seems to gain the upper hand, but the spirit will put down that flesh. It will put down that flesh. It is no match, but you must fight. You must fight. You must see to it that you fight. When temptations come, when temptations come, do you just yield? Or do you take up the, the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit and the ammunition of prayer? When the enemies of God are afflicting people around you, do you fight by responding with God's word? Or do you treat... You know, or do you retreat into the walls of the church and basically say, I'm glad I'm saved. I'm glad I've escaped God's judgment to hell with the rest of you. That's what it means to not fight. That's what it means to not witness. Do you care that children are being killed in the womb who have no chance to object to their treatment? Do you think that God's word speaks to that? I mean, that's one issue. It's one issue of a, of, of a thousand, but it's, it's a prominent issue. And if you're annoyed by me mentioning abortion, you're out of the fight. Do you think God's word speaks to that truth? Do you speak, think God's word speaks to murder? Then how could you not openly condemn such wickedness in the public square? You're not engaged in the fight. Rather than fighting the good fight, we'd rather have rest. We all just want rest. Good rest, don't we? We just want rest. We want Netflix. We want ease. We want pillows. We want we want beds that have, you know, four inches of foam on top. But we don't want to get in the fight. Remember again what the apostle says. He he does not say fight the terrible fight or rest the good rest, but fight the good fight of faith. This is a good fight. This is a good fight. It is a winnable and overwhelmingly winnable fight when you consider the God who has called us to that fight. Right Again, Calvin, we see how princes will, for their ambition, hazard all they have. Right? Princes will, 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 will risk everything. Right? They will endanger themselves to be spoiled of all their might and power. We see soldiers which, to have wages of those who travail in their vineyards and in their fields, will put their lives in danger. Soldiers will put their lives in danger. And what is it that leads them to it? A doubtful hope. Right? For there is no certainty, yes, and oftentimes, though they have all and have overcome their enemies, what profit comes to them from it? But when God 
calls us to combat and wants us to be soldiers as it were under his sign, it is not upon any such bad condition, but we are assured that the war shall be good and happy. We'll fight for so many things where we don't know the outcome, but we won't fight the good fight of faith, even though the victory is secure. What's the reward of this fight? What's the reward of fighting the good fight of faith, dear brothers and sisters? It's nothing less than your eternal life. That's what's at stake. Your eternal life. Those who do not fight do not win. And those who do not enter the battle do not take ground. Those who do not have faith do not enter heaven. Faith fights. Faith fights. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Take hold of eternal life. Children, take hold of eternal life. Fight your appetites. Fight the unbelief you hear the kids in the neighborhood speak about. Fight your selfishness with your siblings. Fight yourself when you, when you have an opportunity to speak the name of Christ and you just don't want to because you're embarrassed. Fight! If you're embarrassed and don't speak the name of Christ, you're basically laying down your weapons, you're taking off your armor, and you're like, no, this fight's not for me. I want out of the fight. Can I have a pillow? Can I have a, a big... You know, give me a a Dr. Pepper, I'm out of the fight. That should not be. God has called you boys and girls to fight the good fight of faith. It's a war that will be won. Will you be on the Lord's side? Will you be on the Lord's side? I see a few nods. You on the Lord's side? You on the Lord's side? Back there? You on the Lord's side, Matthew? Yeah. Amen. Let's get to fighting. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would forgive us for the way that we have not pursued holiness. We have not pursued evangelism. We have not pursued pronouncing the the righteousness of God in the public square. Father, because we just don't want to fight. We would like to have our ease. We would like even to have our ease if it means eating uh, garlic back in Egypt in slavery. But Father, you have freed us. You You have unshackled us from our sins and given us a new nature so that we might fight the good fight of faith. That we might lay hold of the eternal life that you have given to us as a gift. So, Father, I pray that we would be quick to run toward the fight, to enter into the battle and not retreat and seek our ease. Father, our ease, our retirement will come in the life to come. And so help us to maintain, by the power of your Spirit, the endurance necessary to fight the good fight of faith. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.